Welcome to Frost & Sullivan's Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Briefing. Today's event is titled, Key Trends and Business Models Transforming the Global Online Food Delivery Industry. Our presenter today is Sarwant Singh. He's our senior partner and executive board member. He's also uh, the pioneer of the macro-to-micro approach in analyzing megatrends in 2008. He also has a best-selling book, New Megatrends, Implications for Our Future Lives. He's also part of advisory boards of Nissan, ATI, Leeds University Business School, and several startups. And joining us today, it is our pleasure to have our panelist, Ben Fleming, Global Vice President, Enterprise Sales from Brain. And also joining us is Diego Parento, Chief Financial Officer at iFood. Now, Ben is, uh, is the Global Vice President of Enterprise Sales at Bring, where he and his team focus on retail, restaurant, and grocery sectors in North America. Bring is a delivery orchestration platform that uh, helps brands like Panera, AutoZone, and Walmart deploy sophisticated high-scale mission-critical logistics operations. Ben is based in Austin, Texas, and has a background in consulting, finance, and strategy with Google and Ernest & Young. Diego Barreto is the CFO of iFood, where he is responsible for finance, strategy, M&A, legal, and procurement for iFood. He previously served as CFO for Brazil's Mobile a global leader in mobile marketplaces, where he oversaw both the ticketing and food verticals. Vareto earned a law degree and an MAB from IMD Business School and has led finance in major organizations such as Ingres Rapido, Susano, and OAS. iFood is Latin America's largest food tech company with 21.5 million monthly orders in Brazil, and is also present in Mexico and Colombia. It works with partners and initiatives that bring together business intelligence and management solutions for more than 116,000 restaurants registered in 822 cities throughout Brazil. iFood has key investors such as Mobile and Just Eat, one of the largest online ordering companies in the world. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Sarwant. Thank you, Anna. A very warm welcome to you. Um, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on which part of the world you are. It's a pleasure to, um, to host this briefing today. Um, thanks, Anna, for the kind introduction to me. Um, I've been with Frost for 20 years, and I track our mobility practice, and I work on future trends. Um, personally, I'm a foodie, um, and I have to say it's the first time in my 20 years in Frost and I'm actually doing a briefing that involves my passion of food. Um, so in the briefing today, we're going to talk about the global online food delivery market. We're going to look at some of the forecasts of the market and, and, and the competitive structure. Very interesting are some of the new business models being employed in this industry. It's full of innovation, and we're going to talk about some of those business models. And many thanks to the two kind participants. Uh, we are still waiting for Diego to join, uh, but Ben is already online. And thanks to Ben and to Diego, once he joins, uh, for sharing some of the insights and, and validating and also giving us some insights on how they see Frost & Sullivan uh, findings on this study. So the webinar is on the back of a study that we have recently completed. It's available on frost.com, or you can go to our store if you want to access it. And for those clients who are already accessing the research, you can very easily download it. So let's get started uh, with the research. So a quick snapshot of what is the key trends within the global online food delivery industry. Um, so this is a huge industry. It's already 82 billion in 2018. It's grown rapidly over the last few years. Um, and we expect this to continue to grow to be a $200 billion industry by 2025. Um, China, um, not surprising, uh, constitutes 40% of the total global market. And if you take Asia as a whole, it constitutes about 50% of the global market. We've seen a, we see over 500 players in this industry. 
Um, it's very fragmented uh, on, on a global scale, but at the same time, it's quite consolidated when you go deep dive into a few specific markets. Um, we expect a lot of investments, very high valuations, and possible mergers and acquisitions, including a lot of globalization of these players. I compare the online food delivery market to the ride-hailing industry. There are quite a few synergies here because it's a, it's a lot about last-mile connectivity. What is interesting is, as we have seen in the ride-hailing industry, where we had a number of players, Uber was one of the key ones, and we've seen the Chinese players are one of some of the big ones. We will see similar trends within this industry. Um, in terms of innovation, which we'll talk about, we see some exciting innovative ideas coming in from the market, and we'll discuss that in my presentation. Before we go, um, let's have a, have a quick question, just to make it a little bit more interactive briefing. Um, what is the most ordered type of food for breakfast in India? Uh, so if there is a, a little poll button on the right-hand side, and you can poll this. Um, so is it a masala dosa, which is a savory South Indian dish? Is it the uh, typical sandwich we eat in the Western world? Or is it a meat biryani, which is a rice dish? Or is it a stuffed chapati, what we call an aloo pronta? Uh, with the exception of, well, I guess all four are savory dishes. dishes. They're not sweet dishes. So do you want to take, um, take a guess on what is perhaps the most ordered dish in India for breakfast? Um, again, you should have um, access to a polling platform on the right-hand side. Um, so I'll come back to the results, but um, I guess, Diego, you have joined. Um, Diego, while we have the people answering the question on which is the most preferred food for breakfast in India, do you want to tell us what is the most preferred dish in Brazil on your platform? Yeah, for sure. Uh, in, in Brazil, we see currently uh, different scenarios one is what is the traditional and second what is growing very fast and probably will become traditional the most traditional one in brazil currently is pizza followed by hamburgers but the ones that are growing the most are especially the 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 a specific uh, 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 cuisine called in brazil acai which is a, a fruit that Brazilians uh, are, are looking more and more in the online platforms to order to their homes and, and, and office. Interesting, interesting. So I had a very similar, very interesting discussion with one of the um, uh, big um, uh, delivery companies in India. And they were saying how people's habits are changing uh, with, with this new trend. And typically, you would not order uh, biryani, for example, uh, for breakfast. Uh, but it is the chicken biryani, um, for those who have been answering this, um, you know, very close to the right answer. It's actually chicken biryani, which is the most ordered dish for breakfast. Typically, it's something you eat for lunch or for dinner. Um, and that also reminds me, you know, reading this very interesting article and listening to Jamie Oliver's um, um, uh, uh, interview the other day. You know, Jamie Oliver, the Naked Chef, very famous in the UK and also globally. You know, his, his restaurant chain's gone bankrupt. And he actually blamed this trend of online food delivery as one of the reasons where people's habits are changing. People are sitting in front of TV, watching Netflix, binging on those Netflix series and ordering food online. So interesting trend. And thank you, uh, Diego, for sharing those insights from Brazil. Um, moving on, um, let's look at the um, global heat map of online food delivery. Uh, so as I mentioned, this is a $200 billion market, very big in, in Asia, in particular uh, China and the Asian countries constitute about 50% of the market, followed by um, U.S., and on the next slide here, you can see how the five big markets compare. So if you combine the four key markets here on the left-hand side, you know, they sort of add up to the biggest market, which is China. China continues to grow rapidly. Um, interesting here, I think, is Germany. Um, I have a German wife, um, and when I'm at Christmas with my in-laws after eating a few days of German food, I'm longing for some uh, pizza or burgers. Uh, and normally in Germany, you cannot order uh, home delivery. 
you know good old days in the UK you could order your local um, uh, local um, local curry house and say hey can you deliver this curry to me it doesn't work that like that in Germany but it's interesting even markets like Germany are now changing and this trend of food delivery is growing in these markets so maybe a question here uh, let me um, start with Ben here Ben what are your you know how do you see this global market what kind of growth are you seeing in particular some of your home markets and Diego I'd like to then ask the same question to you yeah so you know we operate primarily in um, in in Europe uh, North America and, and South America um, North America and South America are probably our strongest markets um, in, in North America, uh, you know, this is obviously everything's growing very fast. Uh, I've been I've been in this market and, and tracking it and, and, and pretty deeply engrossed in it for you know six or seven years. And uh, I remember, you know, at the beginning of that, everyone was talking about delivery and how important it was going to be. And, and now we're starting to to really see that to the point where. Some of these larger brands are starting to see 10, 20, 30 percent of their revenue is now coming from delivery, um, and and they're really starting to to wake up. It's not just an afterthought now, and 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 we're seeing these brands really having to, to take a step back, and and make strategic decisions about what their what their delivery operations are going to look like, versus just having it be an add-on for them. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Ben. And Diego, what are your views on the on, on the size of the market, especially in Latin America, and what sort of growth rates are you seeing? And do you see, do you agree with our numbers here? Yeah, well, actually, when I take a look to, to these numbers and compare it to Latin America, uh, my impression is that uh, or uh, these numbers are conservative or uh, Latin America will be a, a different case. Uh, we don't expect to see something lower than 40-50% CAGR between 18 and 25. Uh, and the reasons are, first of all, there's a, a huge change in the in the infrastructure uh, for mobile us usage in, in Latin America, which is addressing more and more the needs of people that didn't have access before. That's the first thing. The second one is uh, the, 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 the food space in Brazil understood the importance of the delivery uh, which therefore are making them more prepared and willing to work with delivery. So we have more supply in the market. Third, there are huge uh, infrastructure problems regarding traffic, uh, as well as problems with security, which means that people tend more and more to take advantage of having delivery at, the, at their homes and office. Uh, and fourth, there are new verticals that are becoming more important, which will increase more and more this CAGR during this period here. Uh, examples, groceries, convenience, frozen foods, uh, signatures, uh, subscription plans, and things like that. So there are uh, much more growth in Latin America. And as I said, I don't expect less than 40% in this period from 18 to 25 yeah, yeah. No, you are right. So we don't include things like groceries and and, and other value added in our forecast. But I, you know, looking at ride hailing, um, Latin America was late to catch on. But look at the penetration of ride hailing in Latin America. I was in Sao Paulo in November, and you're absolutely spot on about the traffic uh, and the traffic also from ride hailing firms. So I wouldn't be surprised that the growth rates are aggressive as as you see. Um, moving on. Thank you. Um, let's have another poll question. Um, if you don't mind um, going to the second poll question, um, and, and if you can just uh, tell us what, who do you believe is the biggest player in this online food delivery market in terms of revenue and valuation? Is it Uber Eats? Is it LME? Is it Meituan? Or is it Deliveroo?
Hi, I think I got uh, disconnected. I'm back in. Um, Anna, is the voting happening? Yes, once I see the the voting is uh, currently happening right now, so we're still getting the the numbers in right now. Perfect, excellent. So while we're having the voting, I think typically what we we expect all of us typically again, uh, like I said, you know, there's some really good parallels with the with the ride hailing industry. Um, normally, people think Uber Eats is the biggest player in the market. Um, of course, it is one of the most global. But like we have seen with the ride-hailing industry, it's actually Didi who's the biggest ride-hailing player. And just to give you the answer for this, uh, the, actually the biggest player is, is Meituan, uh, the biggest uh, Chinese player, a company that is valued uh, at over 50 billion uh, and makes 6 billion plus in terms of revenues. Now, when you look at um, this industry here uh, on this chart, there are quite a few interesting insights on this particular slide. Firstly, the number of players which is highly fragmented on a global basis. There are very few global players. Uh, I think the key global player there is really is, uh, is Uber Eats and followed by European companies like Deliveroo, Hero, or Deliveroo and Takeaway um, that dominate their own bases but have multiple subsidiaries even in North and South America. But then at the same time, if you go into certain markets, uh, so let's, get, let's look at Brazil, for example, or look at India, you know, you have two or three big players and companies like iFood are usually dominate the market. And maybe I can ask a question here for you, Diego. How do you see the comparative structure? And in particular, how do you see that in Latin America? You are one of the biggest players. Can you share some insights on how big you are? And how do you see other markets? Do you see new players entering? And do you see the industry will become maybe more consolidated on a global basis? Or do you see that perhaps the fragmentation will continue as com companies go global? Yeah. Uh, well, this is uh, our, we, we are currently the largest player in Latin America. Uh, our last uh, available number shows a more than 21 million orders a month being delivered uh, in Brazil, plus a few more in, in Colombia, Mexico, the countries where we operate. Uh, it's, 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 when you take a look at how the, the big players are positioned around the world, it's expected to see consolidation. Uh, not because uh, there is something special about this discussion, but just because it makes sense from an economic point of view, from a competition point of view. Uh, the good thing we are seeing now is that uh, the, the delivery companies, they started as just a platform, a pure marketplace that didn't have differentiate, differentiation from each other. What we are seeing now is that competition is, is making companies become much more willing to really search for competitive advantage. Uh, in our case, for example, we are investing heavily in artificial intelligence, and the company now is, 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 being, uh, is taking decisions much more based on data than just in the ideas. So we still working hugely with new ideas, but we are supporting all of this with data and letting the artificial intelligence to guide us throughout this competition, uh, competitive landscape. Thank you, Diego. That's very helpful. Ben, over to you. I mean, uh, you, are, um, you are actually supplying your platform uh, using a SaaS model to these companies. Are you seeing huge growth in this market in terms of existing players expanding as well as new players entering? Yeah, I'm actually not seeing in North America specifically, um, you know, there, there historically has been a lot of niche players. You know, every college town in America had their local delivery service, or RDS they, they call it. There's a whole cottage industry. Uh, and over the past five years, I, I've really seen those smaller, uh, real regional and local players really, really struggle. Um, as as the DoorDash and the Uber Eats and and and, and the bigger guys, um, you know, expand their tentacles further uh, into the the secondary and tertiary markets. Um, that that's what I've seen. Okay. 
Excellent. No, thank you. Thanks, Ben, and thanks, Diego. Moving on, um, let's look at the key company profiles here. As discussed before, Meituan takes the cake in terms of global performance, delivering over six billion orders annually and being valued at a staggering 55 billion. This is 2018 numbers. Uh, Uber Eats comes in second with 830 million orders around the world, and iFood, um, which we just heard from, is another big unicorn uh, in the region with over 140 million deliveries in Brazil. Then we have got European players, Just Eat and Delivery Hero, also have similar valuations, five to six billion respectively, and delivering over 300 meals every year. Talking about valuation, maybe a question for you, Diego. Do you believe these valuations are justified? Are they conservative? Now again, let me take the example of um, the uh, ride-hailing industry. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's roughly a 450 billion industry today, expected to be one trillion. Uber came in at a valuation around 100 billion. One might argue it's undervalued. What's your view on valuations of some of the f food delivery companies, including iFood? Yeah. Uh, well, my opinion on that is that valuations can be justified uh, if there are uh, a competitive advantage and or there are uh, an, an expectation that can really be materialized in, in, in how you're operating your company. What I'm saying is, in the end, you can tell anything you want, but the thing that will justify is how you can prove your operations or your competitive advantage will be able to really harvest the value that you are seeing in a number. So in our case, for example, uh, we are working hardly to have the best logistics cost in the world. And why that? Because if I want to be bigger and bigger, I have to go to the mass market. To go to the mass market, the, 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 the value of each order should be lower. As a consequence, I have to lower the logistics cost to have economic value in the end. Right? So the question here is less about if the multiples of the sector are right, but it's much more what each company here uh, is doing to make the value be really real. Uh, so uh, uh, I think that our companies that are doing a good job working on that and that other companies that are just working with vouchers, coupons, and trying to make numbers big in order to justify evaluation. And that's not how you make a company more valuable. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think uh, in some of these uh, fast-growing industries, um, yeah, you know, if it's, it's a value for many model companies can, yeah, put incentives in place to boost the valuation, but that's not a sustainable model. Absolutely agree with you. Moving on, um, thanks for that. Um, let's look at some of the uh, business model innovations happening, and let's start with looking at how online food delivery industries are actually expanding in, within the value chain, both backward integration as well as forward integration. So you might remember you know, the coffee companies many years ago. Um, they started as selling coffee, but they ended up also getting into the farming business. Likewise, look, let's look at the tire companies. Um, you know, they, they also started growing rubber plantations. And we are starting to see some of these food delivery companies also doing backward integration, getting involved in the farming sector. But most interestingly, what we're seeing is they're doing what I would say forward integration, getting a lot more involved within the, the restaurant business. And they're, in, they're really, um, they're innovating in different ways. And I'll talk a little bit about what Diego said in terms of leveraging data. I think it's incredible how they're leveraging data. But in terms of the business model, we see three types of distinct business models, companies that are full stack players, delivery enablers, and companies that are aggregators. In the full stack model, the online food delivery company operates in the three core aspects of the online food value chain, including the platform, kitchens, and executing the delivery to the customer. This allows the company to ensure quality and reduce costs, but is a bit more expensive and complicated to run. So companies as Damakan in Malaysia, Grain in Singapore, and Zomato in India practice this. In the delivery enable model, uh, enabler model, companies look at only specializing on the platform and the delivery links in the value chain. The majority of online food delivery companies work with this strategy and partner with kitchens and restaurants 
to get the food to the customers. Some good examples are Uber Eats, uh, the Japanese, Demacan, and Grab in the APAC region. And then finally, you've got the aggregators, which focus solely on the technology side of the things, the platform. Their sole purpose is to collect, store information, and coordinate with restaurants and kitchens. And then they work with third-party delivery companies to get the food to the customer. What is also interesting is on this new slide, is some of the new innovations like cloud kitchens or dark kitchen, that's its reference. So again, I was having a very interesting conversation with a food delivery company, and they were mentioning how they leverage data, and Tiago mentioned this briefly, is they know on a particular day in the evenings between 6 and 7 p.m. how many order of pizzas are coming. So what they do to be, you know, the business model is, you know, you don't have people hungry, you know, more than four minutes bait and, and it puts off customers. What they do is they pre-prepare and semi-freeze a lot of these pizzas a day before. They stick it in the oven and uh, they have a dark kitchen operating which is in, 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 in a small five mile or smaller radius to the customer delivery points. And as soon as the order comes in, the chef sticks it in the oven it's ready in 15 minutes, and it's on its way to delivery. So that's one of the business models that companies are operating. The other business models, like we talk about with the Chef Butler model, which is they will actually create a kitchen which is shared. So let's say there's a, there's a restaurant in, uh, in north of London. Uh, they don't operate in south of London, but there's a lot of demand for the restaurant's food in south of London. So they will invite one of the chefs in the shared kitchen to cook that food, and they will deliver to customers in south of London. So people in south London can also enjoy food from, from, from the customers in the north. Um, incredible. Diego, what kind of business models are you seeing? What kind of innovations are you and witnessing in this industry? Uh, well, we are, we are seeing all of the, the, the scenarios that you pointed out here, uh, which is great, which means that there are innovation in the industry and people are trying to find different business models. In the end, all of them are sustainable. All of them are, are appropriated, and they will make money at a certain point. Uh, the question here is what's the size of each one? And uh, the industry is still discovering that. The industry is still discovering how much the, a brand will be important, uh, what's the type of level that the consumer will demand from now on. Uh, uh, the, the, the industry is discovering if you are going to a more uh, experience style or to a more uh, uh, efficiency style from the, uh, uh, from the consumer point of view. So my point here is uh, we should wait more time. We should test more. We, when I say not iFood, but the industry, we should wait more time, test all of them, discover how consumers will react, and see how the profit pools of this value chain will be reshaped. Uh, it will be like a very, very interesting moment uh, during the next three years to see how these scenarios will evolve. Thank you, Diego. And Ben, any insights from your end? How are your customers challenging you to provide additional platform features to enable some of these business models? Yeah, some, some of the interesting, most interesting business models that we're starting to, um, uh, to engage on and, 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 and discuss is around, you know, some of these brands, uh, with large fleets, right? You look at the, the pizza guys or even Panera, which has 15,000 drivers, um, starting to think about their, their fleets, their delivery drivers as, as assets, expensive assets that they need to utilize. And, and how can they use those fleets when they're not active, you know, when they're not being kept busy, to maybe do deliveries for another non-competing brand Right, and to consolidate and, and pool those fleets, uh, and even looking across industries, right? Like how, how uh, you know, a, a Panera, they do their most of their deliveries um, around lunchtime. AutoZone or WorldPack or you know some other auto parts, they do all of their deliveries at at, uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, so maybe there's a way to to uh, to complement each other and, and share fleets. That's that's a lot of the discussions that we're starting to have because these fleets are expensive. Interesting you say that, yeah. At the end of the day, you're right. It's about how you can boost the utilization rates. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. There's a peak demand of food at certain hours of the day. 
uh, and what can we do? And I think Diego mentioned that. And maybe if I can just maybe throw it back at you, Diego, is you mentioned very interestingly how you are starting to see these companies get into other forms of delivery, grocery, others. Can you expand on how do you see this line expanding? What new product lines and services could these food delivery companies add in the future? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I believe there are multiple uh, new ways that people, entrepreneurs, will explore this, this space in the near future. Uh, one, of the things, one of the things are, is uh, it will be possible to produce a very special brand and very special meal from Japan, from UK, from New York, from Cape Town, for example, in Sao Paulo. So people will, for example, build cloud kitchens that basically uh, uh, and basically will sign deals to produce here very specific brands and very specific meals. So I'm not talking about the typical franchising. I'm talking about a cloud kitchen going to a very important chef in these places that I mentioned and say, can I produce that in Brazil with this standard? And uh, I'm going to pay you some royals because of this. So that's one of the things. It's much more, much more focused on, on, on clients that uh, generally go outside and love gastronomy and love specific kinds uh, uh, of chefs. So that's one thing. The second one is uh, there, are, uh, there are very local brands that are very strong that didn't have uh, financial conditions to expand in a certain region, in a certain country. And using these new models, they will be able to find, for example, investment funds that will uh, invest to expand through, for example, cloud kitchens, and that will allow them to, 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 to expand geographically without putting their efforts, their own efforts, the efforts of the, the chef that created that local brand to do this whole uh, uh, effort. And this is very important, especially because in this industry, most of the chefs that work, they don't have managerial skills. They don't know how to manage a company. So they will basically continue to work in their lab while allowing people to get these new models and expand geographically. And this is like really, really unbelievable. This is something that we didn't say before. If you think about how you, for example, travel today, you go to a specific city and say, I want to buy the meal of this chef because I read about that. And with this new model, maybe it will come to you because somebody will be able to expand that local chef uh, internationally or nationally. So those are, uh, these are two very important trends that I'm seeing happening in Latin America. It's still not at scale, but probably will be in the near future. Very interesting, Diego. I can't wait to order my favorite Indian food uh, from India in, in <laughs> London. Man, talk about North and South London. I could order, a, you know, I could ask my favorite chef back in, a, in home in India saying, hey, could you cook that for me in London? Amazing, incredible. Love the innovation in the industry. Um, let's move on and let's talk about some of the KPIs that the industry is using to measure uh, success. Um, firstly, quick snapshot on what is the average order at the bottom. Uh, no surprises there. A lot of orders in India, but the average size of that order is much lower. These are some of the KPIs we see. So that's the average revenue per order, the GMV, the average order value, and also the number of monthly early active users. So again, maybe question back to you, Diego, first, is how do you measure, what are the KPIs you use in measuring success in your business, and how these are changing? Well, uh, in our opinion, uh, it's everything about how you acquire your clients and how you retain your clients. So, uh, of course, you can use different KPIs, but in the end, it comes to the fact that you have to acquire the right customer and maintain him in the platform. Therefore, uh, the, the cost of acquisition is very important. Secondly, the frequency and third, retention. So if you are able to keep these three KPIs in a very good level, you are building a great business in the food delivery space. Hi, Diego. Did we lose you there? Uh, did you listen to me? 
Sorry, we just lost you for a second. Please say that again. Yeah, I just said that in the end, in the food space, if you're able to have a great CPA, cost of acquisition, uh, if you have a good retention rate, which means the ones that you acquire, you maintain inside your ecosystem, and third, frequency, which means people love you and therefore they're buying more in your platform, you will be doing a, a, a great business if you maintain these three KPIs in a great level. Excellent. And then how are you incentivize customers? Are there any techniques or methods being used to have customers spend more? I, for example, I just moved to Dubai and Uber is now giving me a VIP status, 10% off. Are there certain things that you're building in, subscription models, loyalty models, that will help improve some of these KPIs? Well, uh, of course, there are many, many ways to do, and we use most of them. But in the end, the way we think about this question is, if I have the best supply, if I'm able to have the best NPS, which means the best service to my client uh, and to the restaurant and to the delivery rider, I will be able to keep you in my platform. Because if I can really... Uh, work with your experience to a level that my competitor doesn't, which includes having the best supply of the market and the largest one and the, the, the most diverse one, I will be able to keep you forever here without just giving you money, throwing you coupons and promotions and etc. So of course, we use all of this, but we focus in the end in the supply and in the experience of the three pillars, not only consumers, but also riders and restaurants. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Diego. And Ben, any insights from you? I've heard about some incentives and KPIs around number of deliveries, how to boost utilization rate of the drivers, for example. Anything you'd like to add to this? Yeah, we, we, we look at uh, slightly different KPIs. We don't, you know, we're, we're a middleware platform. We don't have a marketplace. Um, we don't have drivers. Um, but, you know, we're typically working with brands that, either have their own fleet and or they're working with multiple delivery providers. So it's important to them from our perspective, what we need to tell them is, you know, uh, not so much number of deliveries, but uh, time on site for those drivers. How long are those drivers standing in the store waiting around to pick up their order? Um, how long is it taking for those drivers to get to a customer? How long are they spending at the customer? Are they making deliveries to the right place? Um, things, things like that, more operational uh, metrics. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. So we're moving towards the end of the presentation. Uh, I will uh, recommend to the audience, please start asking questions on the platform. We already have one question from one audience member. So some of the key takeaways, I think um, we sort of already summarized many of these. So we're seeing, we expect mergers and acquisitions, as, as Diego mentioned. Um, we're seeing a lot of efficiency improvements in logistics, including, like we like mentioned by Ben, you know, how can you utilize that fleet more, the driver more, and no wonder there'll be more disruption, for example, to some of the logistics companies, the courier companies in the future. And also we're seeing the whole cloud kitchen network expanding rapidly, boosted by investments, both from online food delivery players, but also third-party businesses. In terms of some of the key three bold predictions we have, you know, we expect a lot of industry consolidation uh, in each country level. Uh, we expect some uh, silly valuations in the market, as we have seen with the ride-hailing industry. Um, and what we're also seeing is, you know, there is a great synergy, as I mentioned earlier, is between multiple industries. And so we believe some of these food delivery companies, ride-hailing firms, will build master mega aggregator platforms. You've already seen that announcement coming from the Uber CEO where they want to, they have the ambition of building that ultimate platform, that ultimate marketplace that controls many things. Uh, very interestingly, I was talking to a media company the other day and they are launching a media aggregator uh, black box, which will aggregate media from Apple, from, I mean, some of these already exist, uh, from Apple, Prime, uh, Netflix, and many other channels. And, and what they're also looking at is how they can perhaps also aggregate, for example, food delivery apps on it. So while you're binging, you know, you can order your food, you can order other things. So again, interesting how, you know, the food delivery market will expand and aggregate beyond just that food. Um, the farm-to-fork ecosystem. Um, what we also uh, expect to see is a lot of these companies who are very national 
or becoming international and more and more becoming global in the future. What I find is also innovations in, in, in some of the secondary ecosystems. So for example, you know, um, I've seen some amazing innovation on how the food is being packaged. Um, I've, I've had some discussion with some chemical material companies in developing special products, plastic products, special materials to keep your food warm or cold or both. Uh, and also in India, you know, the, how the food is being presented. Absolutely amazing uh, innovation in, in, in this marketplace. So with this, I think we're coming towards the end of the um, uh, presentation. Um, I'll open the, uh, the I'll, I'll, I'll recommend to the audience to ask any questions. Um, we already have a couple of questions, so I'm going to fire the first one to you, Ben. Um, the question is, do you see that online food delivery companies will want to broaden the scope into the delivery services like courier service? And will that addition of business incur a lot of cost on the software or platform side? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 absolutely. I, we were already seeing it, um, you know, with, with DoorDash Drive, you know, DoorDash's uh, and, and, and Postmates as well, where they're just, you know, again, utilizing those fleets. In order to, in order to attract and, 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 and retain drivers, you need to keep them busy. Um, and the more drivers you, 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 you attract and maintain and you want that, um, uh, the scale, you have to keep them more busy. So going into new markets, new verticals, whether it's grocery or auto parts or pharmaceuticals, uh, we're, we're already seeing that, and I would expect that to continue. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. The other question, maybe I'll direct this towards, uh, towards you, Diego, is do you see any chance for small and medium local delivery platforms? Very niche, very specialized. Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, the problem in the end is uh, if, if you can niche, uh, you can be very specialized if you have the exclusivity to do that. Because if you don't, probably a larger platform will have the same chance to, to have this supply and in the end aggregate much more other services, qualities, and other things that will make the consumer to come back. So let me give an example. Uh, we, for example, at iFood, we have a good offer of uh, restaurants that only works with vegans. So it could be a different, uh, 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 very specialized platform, could be. But because it's on iFood and these restaurants also grab the attention and the tools and other things that we offer to the remaining verticals, the remaining types of, of, of cuisines, it makes sense to be much better here than in a specialized one. So that's why I think it's possible, but I'm not sure if it's the best way to go. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Diego. Um, in terms of the, uh, the poll questions, um, let me give you the answers. I think on the first question which we had, which is what are the most ordered type of food for breakfast across India? I think stuffed chapati or paratha, as we call it in India, came in number one, but actually that's the wrong answer. The most ordered food in India is interestingly chicken biryani. Um, in terms of the second question, which company is the world's largest online food delivery company in terms of revenue and valuation? I, many of you guessed it absolutely spot on, and that is a Chinese company, made one. Moving on, coming back to the questions, um, there is a very good question um, on uh, sustainability. I'll pass this to you, Diego. With the rise of online food delivery market, plastic waste is inevitable. Um, how do your companies mitigate this issue? Yeah. Well, uh, the companies here in, in, uh, uh, that work as a platform, as in our case, should work as, a, as, a, as someone to coordinate this discussion. We don't own the decision, but we can coordinate this decision. And that's how we are doing that. So the first thing, uh, you can, for example, uh, create uh, a new X in your app that will make consumers use less and less plastic uh, compared to traditional ways to, to, to build this UX. And that's one of the things that we're doing. The second one is, because of your size, your scale, you can work on behalf of restaurants to provide them certain materials that by themselves they are not able to do that because they are small, they don't have the sophistication, etc. And we are doing that. The third thing is, 
uh, you are able to communicate better to your massive base of clients uh, what is good and what is not. And of course, I'm not saying that what is not good means don't buy that restaurant, don't buy that meal. What I'm saying is that you need to have the info. Decide by yourself that I have to give your, you the info. So that's how uh, the companies that work as platforms, they can orchestrate, coordinate this discussion in the sector. Thank you, Diego. Thank you. And a question for you here, uh, Ben. Um, could you kindly elaborate on the time to market for a software platform, right from the table discussion, literally, uh, to prototyping and finally market rollout? Well, uh, a software, so to be clear, we're not you know, a marketplace. We don't do e-commerce. Um, but as far as you know, taking a platform like ours and, and, and getting it up and, and running uh, for, for a brand, um, you know, initial. Actually, I'll give you an example without without naming names. So there's a a, a chicken brand that that has a, a a famous chicken sandwich right now, um, right? We engaged with them uh, about six months ago um, to 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 kick off, um, and it's a very simple use case, right? They're using multiple. They have their own e-commerce. They're using multiple delivery providers, delivery as a service providers. Um, when an order comes in, Bring is acting as the, uh, as the dispatch to those various uh, providers and, and tracking those providers. Uh, it took us, you know, a few weeks to do some integration work, um, and then we were up and running in a store a few weeks after that, uh, and then we were, you know, so, so not in that uh, couple months. It's it's pretty quick for for a use case as simple as that. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Um, question for you here, Diego. Um, how? What were some of the challenges that you faced when you expanded from Brazil to Colombia and to Mexico? Well, when when it comes to food delivery, uh, you are talking about a local market. It's not a global market. You can be a global company, but it's not a global market which means that you have to respect the, 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 the habits of people in that country. So, for example, in some countries, you have to shape your supply uh, considering, for example, the weekdays. In other countries, you have to shape your supply considering the weekends because people use more one or the other depending on the country. So that's the first thing, how you shape your, your, your supply. The second thing is how you incentivize uh, consumers to be more and more in your platform. And there are different ways to do that. Some countries, they are, they are very sensible, to they're very price sensible, uh, which means that for them, paying the delivery uh, fee is, is a problem, which means that you have to coordinate that with the restaurant. In other countries, consumers really it's not that they don't care, but they're less sensible. Therefore, you can charge them instead of uh, orchestrate that with the restaurant. So the challenge here is to really understand the market. It's really understand how, uh, what are the habits and how you can make that habit increase over time to make people be more and more in your platform. Thank you, Diego. Interesting. Yeah, and then you know, it's interesting when when companies like McDonald's and some of the Pizza Huts, when when they moved globally, it was interesting how that same pizza was customized to local markets. And in some big markets like India, China, it can even be customized from north to south, India with very different flavors. Uh, interesting. It's and and I thought you might just answer by saying it's just about customization of the food, but it's a lot more than that. So that's definitely interesting. So one question I have, I think this is the last question is we see a lot of the growth um, in the market um, for players like yourself coming from now entering tier two, tier three cities. Again, when I'm talking to some of these food delivery companies, it's amazing they're talking about three, four, five hundred cities. And um, I met uh, Swiggy in India, and they were saying they're opening a city every day, almost every week. Um, so I wanted to ask you, is this the kind of pressure you are also facing, is to very rapidly expand and enter more and more cities and towns? 
Well, I don't call that a pressure. I call that strategy. Uh, if I feel the pressure uh, of doing that, it's because that's not my strategy. So for us, we really do that. We're expanding more and more. We are reaching almost 1,000 cities in Brazil, uh, but not because uh, somebody's doing or, or because somebody told us to do. It's because we believe the habits of the countryside is changing. We believe that the food delivery offers something that doesn't exist and people are waiting for this. And third, we believe that the more we go to the countryside, the more I am able to learn and offer a unique experience and solution to the whole country. Uh, so that's why we are doing that. Good. I agree. I like the answer. It's not pressure. It's strategy. So last question, maybe one more. Um, regulations. Ride-hailing industries, there wasn't much regulation. Then a lot came in in terms of regulation of the driver and so on and so forth and safety issues and all those things. Um, do you see more regulation hitting you guys in the future? Well, uh, yes, and this is normal, right? I mean, every time that you create a new vertical, a new uh, sector of the economy, it's quite normal that people, state, and uh, companies, they understand what is the best way to do that. So yes, we wait more for that. The, the question here is what a company that leads this space can do to shape this uh, regulatory framework in a way that is good for the company, the clients, and the, the country, so the state. Uh, therefore, that, that's what we're doing in Brazil. We are showing, we are proving, we are, uh, uh, we are changing, we are adapting uh, in order to create value to all these parts of the ecosystem. And we are being, at this point in time, quite successful. And when I say, when I say we, it's not iFood. It's Brazil and the Brazilians. We are being able to set a good standard for all of them. Thank you, Diego. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I'll maybe conclude our, 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 our briefing today. Um, I would like to thank Ben and Diego very much. Really interesting insights on this very exciting market. Um, for, our, uh, for those customers listening to us, uh, Frost & Sullivan, just to recap, has published a global study on this, um, and you can access that study by going on our platform. We also provide consulting advisory services. As a matter of fact, right now we are supporting, about to start supporting an IPO process uh, for, for, uh, for one of these companies in the market. So any help, any support you need from a strategy, from advisory side, implementation, please give us a call. So once again, a very big thanks to you.